They, they just, they, they dug underneath what was not apparent on the surface. They had a little effort and a little, a little work and they discovered buried treasure. I say all that to say Psalm 19 is saying the same thing. That with a little effort and a little work, there is buried treasure right underneath the surface. And what all of Psalm 19, especially those like verse seven all the way to like verse 12, really going to verse 14, it's all about your relationship with God and your relationship with the word of God. It's your relationship with, all right, understanding you have a God that actually wrote a book and gave us a book. And better than gold, it's saying, desire this more than gold, because he says, it's gonna be everything about your spiritual vitality, about your joy, in some cases about your marriage, other cases about your kids, other cases about your church. The question is, how do I get in there? And here's my challenge today, and, and just pray for me, because here's the challenge at a church like 1122, a church like ours, you take the Bible real, real, real seriously. You guys take it real seriously. We take it real seriously. You all lean in. And this is the third service uh, so far, and it's like leaning in. I can see you now. All right, you're leaning in. You got your device out. You got your Bible out. You got your Psalms journal out. You take it real, real seriously. You've also got an amazing, seriously, you have an amazing you have an amazing communicator as your lead pastor. You really do. I mean, I would say top three expositors of the word in the country right now. I'm just seriously, he, he can go through 66 verses and like, man, everyone has got a nugget, all right? Everyone. And uh, it's like, I, I, I kind of say that, I say this in great love. I mean, it's a mix between, it's like a mix between Larry the Cable Guy and Charles Spurgeon. I mean, like mixed together. That is an amazing gift. How do you put Spurgeon and Larry together? It's an amazing gift, all right? So seriously, you guys get, you guys get a fine course meal every Sunday. I mean, every Sunday, man, Pastor Joby comes up here and it's like, you go into a nice restaurant and man, they do, the, they do the appetizers right, they do the oysters right, they do everything correct and you have this amazing meal. But if all you do is eat on Sundays and you don't learn how to feed yourself, you're gonna starve and you're gonna be unhealthy. Amen. And the reason you gotta understand that is a lot of you are still reluctant to actually get in this book. And there's a variety of reasons why that is. Sometimes, you know, every once in a while you hear somebody say, well, it's just kind of a boring book. And when you say it's boring, I understand, number one, you, nobody's ever actually taught you how to study this book because it's a lot of things. Boring is not one of them. All right? Man, it's got like fa crazy families in there. It's got stories of romance. It's got stories of rescue. It's the big story of redemption. It's about a God who loves you and say, I mean, it is not boring. Sometimes people will say, well, uh, I just don't have the time. I forget. And that's kind of semi-understandable. We're gonna sing a song that at the end that's like make room and it's the prayer. It's like, I don't wanna make room for you. All the stuff that crowds you out, I wanna make sure that I get to hear the voice of God. But number three, and probably the reason that most people, and just like, just like my church, there's a lot of people from different backgrounds and maybe you didn't grow up in church or maybe you grew up in a real liturgical place and they basically kind of gave you the message. It's like, listen, we're the professionals. We'll tell you what's in here. And we'll tell you what you need to know from in here, but we're the ones that are the professionals, all right? You guys are like not the professionals, so just kind of sit back and listen. And if I can hear, if I can just give you one thing, and I can promise you this is Pastor Joby's goal as well, is the goal in preaching is not just to move you along the discipleship continuum, it is also to whet your appetite to know that, you know what, I can get in there. You can get in here and God can speak to you. Now part of the Bible, there's a small part of the Bible that is kind of Hard to understand, there's a small part. There's a small part that's like algebra. You know, I, you know, there's a small part, things like Book of Revelation, that's hard. Book of Daniel, that's hard. Song of Solomon, that's R-rated, but it's also kind of difficult at times to understand. But 
most of the Bible is like two plus two equals four. That's what it is. The book of John, that's what our church is going through right now. The book of 1 John, the book of Psalms, what you guys are going through right now. Listen to me, loved one. You can, you can understand this. 95% of it, you can just read it and go, what does that mean? And then what does that mean to me personally? You can. All right, my goal for the next little bit is to try to show you, and that's what Psalm 19 does. It uses five different synonyms for the Bible, for the word. It uses words like precept, words like commandment, words like rules, but then it gives a corresponding benefit. By the time I'm done, I'm gonna feel, some of you boomers out here, you're gonna think, it's like the Ginsu knife set. Those old commercials that are like, they would keep going, it's like, you get this knife set, but wait, there's more, and they would show you some more stuff, and but wait, there's more, and but wait, there's more. That's what this psalm feels like. So the goal is for you to be able to leave and go, man, I can get in there, and if I've crowded that out of my life, all right, maybe during, uh, maybe during COVID, it kind of got crowded out, maybe you fell into some unhealthy habits. All right, I don't know if you, actually, you guys didn't even have COVID here in Florida. We had it in North Carolina, okay? And here's what happened in North Carolina. And, North, and what happened in North Carolina is people got into some very unhealthy habits. You know, sitting at home, um, you know, watching news all day or getting on their computer or their kids driving them crazy. And a lot of stuff happened that wasn't healthy. And we're still feeling, one of our counselors the other day actually told us that, you know what? One of our counselors is two years out, two years out in appointments, two years out. Two years out, I mean, that emergency has come, gone, and come again by the time two years hits. And so here's what it is. Let's get into this. There's only like five or six verses we're gonna look at. Every one of them, though, talks about God's word and a benefit. And then even at the end, I'm gonna tell you, even if you're brand new to Bible study, this is how you jump in here. So here we are, Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, verse seven. Psalm 19, verse seven, the very first part of it. It's like, how do we, how do we, how do we dig for gold right below the surface? The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord, it's perfect, reviving the soul. So if you're a note taker, uh, this is like your day. All right, these are more points than I've done in a sermon in a long, long time. So point number one, what does the Bible do? Why should I read my Bible? It restores my soul. It restores, it restores my soul. The word revives there means to bring renewed vitality. It means to restore something that has fallen down back to its original condition. It means to breathe new life into all those things that were like, you know what? My soul is tired. My soul is over. My soul has fallen over. How do I get back? How do I get back to what I once was? Your soul is that immaterial part of you, by the way. You have a soul. I have a soul. Your soul is that part that chooses. It's that will. It's that emotions. It's that part that relates to God. And what he's saying is, you know what? You get in this book and there's this unbelievable way that God ministers to your soul. And it's not just about rules from the outside, it's about your soul on the inside. And so even if you come in here, it's like when you sing the songs, God began to minister to your soul. It's been kind of a challenging week for me and just being in the worship services the last few days, it has ministered to my soul. I can feel, I can feel my soul being restored as we just sang as we sang back to God and as we got together into God's word. And some of us, honestly, you didn't come in here strutting. Some of you came in here strutting and God's got a word for you. But a lot of you came in here struggling. You came in here and a lot of things have been challenging for you. You're like, I'm not, I'm not sure. Maybe it's full of shame. Maybe sin's done a number on you. Whatever that is, what God wants to do is take his word and begin to renovate your soul because our souls can get in a mess. 
The, uh, about this time last year, my wife and I came back from a conference and we've got, we're, we, live, we live on a hill, so in, in the mountains they kind of, you, almost everybody has like a, um, you know, like a, a two-story because the houses are built on these hills. So in our case, we have a lower garage and an upper garage. And so my wife parks her uh, Jeep in the upper garage and I got a pickup truck and I park it in the lower garage. So we had taken mine to the airport, we got our truck, and I, par- I moved in there. And as soon as I went into the garage, I was like, something's wrong with my garage. Because, you know, you know your garage, right? And I'm like, this is a lot neater than I left it. So, I mean, shoes were in place. All the tools were hung up. I was like, wow, this is, somebody cleaned up my garage. And so, but what happened is, is I go upstairs, and I'm the least observant person in the room. All right, seriously. Um, but I go upstairs, and I can notice that the floors had buckled a little bit. I was like, man. I was like, baby, do our floors look different than they were when we left about four or five days ago? She's like, you know what? I was going to say the same thing. And then we kind of went in some of the tile. It kind of started to kind of curl up just a little bit. And I'm like, something is going on here. So I began to pull that thread. And then I went down, got in the back of my truck, and I took a stick and I poked it up into the insulation. And when I poked it up into the insulation, water came down. And what it showed me is, all right, while we've been gone, Mr. House Sitter had left, had left the sink on for hours and it had overflowed. And as it overflowed, it went into the it went into the subfloor, it went into the wood floors, it went into the insulation, and went into all that stuff. Now, how God is good, because it's a Greek word that's named Allstate. And Allstate, Allstate, Allstate cost Allstate about 80K to renovate our house. But at the end of the renovation, now listen, it was a pain because it took like three months and all the labor shortages and all that stuff. It took about three months to restore and to renovate it. But when he did. When it was done, man, it was better than new. Got these new cabinets now, got this new backsplash. I didn't even know what backsplash was. We got cool backsplash, great countertops, wood floors got redone, insulation got redone. And all of a sudden, it's like what used to be a mess, what used to be in shambles is now renovated. And loved one, that's what God wants to do in your soul through God's word. He wants to take the word of God and apply it where your soul is in shambles, where your soul is a mess, where your soul has been hurt, where maybe there's been some things God has been telling you through the years, and all of a sudden, it's not just about what you did now, it's about who you are. And that guilt that God has been saying, hey, come to me, I've got great news for you, you haven't dealt with that, and all of a sudden, the guilt now has become shame. Guilt is about what you did, shame is about who you are. And God wants to take God's word and the gospel and apply it right where you are. And uh, one of the things you gotta be careful of, by the way, is when you come to the Bible, you don't just come to it looking for rules or steps, primarily. Now, this, word, this, this uh, church teaches the Bible all the time. So whether it be about marriage or parenting or whatever, I listen to your Song of Solomon series. <laughs> well done, all right, well done, well done. All right, so point is this. There's a lot of things that are about those very practical areas, but understand the big picture, the meta-narrative of the Bible, it's, not, it's for you, it's just not about you, and that's great news. It's really about the fact that there is a God who had a bunch of rebels called us. We rebelled against God, and God in his mercy and his grace provided a substitute. That's the whole Old Testament. It's like, you know what, you don't have what it takes, I'm gonna send a substitute. That's why all this all, those, all the lambs and stuff. We're in the book of John as a church. And so John chapter one, what does he say? John steps out and says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when you look at the Bible, understand, it's not primarily about three steps to a better marriage or five steps to better parenting or seven steps to being a better boss. It's about the 10,000 steps Jesus took toward you. And when you and I understand that, all the other stuff begins to 
take care of itself. It's like, you know what, if Jesus will do that for me, it, and that's why we talk, at our church we're always talking about this. It's like, we are generous, why? Because God was generous with us in the gospel. I'm patient with my spouse, why? Because God was patient with me in the gospel. We serve other people, we serve a church, we serve people, we serve our communities, why? Because God served us in the gospel. So here's my point, especially as a church that takes the Bible real, real seriously. Realize this book is a bridge to a destination. It's not an end in itself. It's not an end in itself. Jesus in John chapter five said this. He said, you religious leaders, you think by looking in the book, that's where eternal life is, but realize that that whole book is talking about Jesus. And so you guys get blessed because you're in a church that talks about over and over and over and over again. But realize God wants to take this and change you. And here's a little preacher secret, at least this is who I think of. Almost any week when getting a sermon ready, I think of a guy, and we actually put a name to him at our church, and his name, we talk about it in worship meetings, and his name is Joe Screwdriver. Now Joe Screwdriver, and there's some Joe Screwdrivers here or watching online, and Joe Screwdriver, he's just that, he's that normal guy. He's that normal guy, and he likes to maybe work with his hands some. Um, he knows how to change a tire. Uh, he, he's that guy, and somehow or another, he finds himself at our church, or he finds himself at 1122. And initially, when you see Joe out in the audience, and I can watch from here, when you see Joe out in the audience, here's the way Joe sits. It's, I think he lost a bet with his wife, and that's why he's at church, or it's Mother's Day or something, and he's like, you know what, okay, I'll go to church, but he's looking at the worship leaders, he's looking at me like, I dare you to, I, I dare you to, I dare you to do anything that makes me blink, I just dare you. But what's amazing is, is God begins to take his word, and maybe a few weeks from there, you see Joe going from like this, to Joe going to like this. Fast forward a few more weeks, flip a few more pages on the calendar, God's word begins to get into Joe's heart. At some point, Joe is converted to Jesus, and all of a sudden, Joe went from this to this, to now, Joe's got his Bible out, all right? He's got a big old Bible out. He's like, touchdown Jesus during the worship time. Joe has been changed, why? Because God's word, it converts the soul, it restores the soul. And so you're like, where's that? Well, I'll tell you what, it's even, uh, Okay, here's a rule at our church, and, and I know, here's a rule, if you guys are gonna applaud, you gotta go all in, all right? You can't go halfway, correct? So I'm gonna give you another chance, I'm gonna give you, well, well done, well done. I'm gonna give you another chance in a few minutes, uh, so husbands pay attention particularly. All right, 7B, it says this, it doesn't just restore my soul, it says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So what else does God's word do? It actually helps my choices. It says it makes wise the simple. It makes, the simple doesn't mean he's lacking intellect. It means one who doesn't make good choices. Somehow the discernment gene did not translate into this person. Literally it means an open, unguarded mind. But let's be true, let's be honest. All of us are one decision away from stupid, correct? Amen. I mean, we're, we're one, and actually we've all made stupid decisions, haven't we? We've all made bad decisions. We've, made, we've, we've accepted invitations to places we shouldn't have accepted, okay? We've fallen or gone into temptation that we never, we never should have done that. We've held on to bitterness about people who have hurt us far longer and still allowing them to hurt us still, all right? We've made those, we have made those bad decisions. And when people say, you know what, it's hard to read the Bible, it's hard to read the Bible, you know what's hard? What's hard is making bad decisions in your marriage and seeing your kids on the weekend. That's, that's what's hard. You know what's hard? 
What's hard is like all of a sudden flirting with somebody at the office, finding yourself into an affair, and your whole testimony is gone. That's what's difficult. You know what's difficult? What's difficult is making terrible money decisions and finding yourself paying for that for a decade. That's difficult. And so what we want to do is we want to understand, man, God, when God says don't do something, that's not that's not a killjoy God saying, listen, I don't want you to have fun. No, God is a good God. He's a great father. And when he says don't do something, he's like, listen, be careful. Remember the last time he went down that road that it didn't end up well. And when he says do something, he's like, man, help yourself to happiness. Help yourself to joy. Think about the biggest regret you have. Just think about it. The biggest regret you have, some of you it's last night, for some of you it's last week, for some of you it's months or years ago. But if you go back to your biggest regret, 100% of the time, you and I either ignored what God was trying to get us to do or didn't even care what God was telling us to do. And when you look at this, one of the things Pastor Joby talks about all the time, it's great because pastors need to repeat five or 10 things over and over and over and over and over and over again to their people. And one of the things that he says, and I've heard him say a bunch of times, is that the Bible is both a map and a mirror. It's both a map and a mirror. It is a mirror. Galatians 3 says it's a mirror. It's actually a tutor, a teacher, to show us we don't have what it takes. It's actually to show us all that first part of the Bible that you don't have what it takes, that you and I have broken every commandment, and what we need is we need somebody to come alongside, keep all of those commandments, and then die in our place. Live the life we were supposed to live. Die the death we deserve to die. That's what the whole thing is supposed to say. But you've got to realize it's also, it's also a map. It's a map. Now, if you're like over 40, honestly, you don't, really, you, don't, you don't know what a real map is, all right? A real map, a real map. Uh, ask your dad, ask your granddad, all right? Ask your uncle, whatever. Once you see a map, a real map, are those kinds, they were about that thick, you'd fold them up, it'd be like a tenfold kind of process. You could never fold it back the same way. You put it in your glove box, you'd pull it out, and dad was like Moses. He could pull that scroll out, and he could all of a sudden highlight the role you were gonna take. How much easier is that now? I mean, now you've got a voice. It can be an Australian voice. Man, I'm looking for Morgan Freeman or Billy Graham, somebody to tell me, okay, you know what? You, rerouting, you know, somebody nice, somebody nice. Reroute, rerouting, rerouting. 95, 95 is a bad plan. 95 is a bad plan. Don't take 95. You won't like what happens on 95. There's a wreck on 95, and you'll be stuck on 95 way longer than you want to be, so let me give you an alternative route. That's what the Bible does. That's what the Bible does. It helps my choices, and um, that's with your job, your school, your spouse, your money. Uh, look at verse 8. It gets even better. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. Number three, it rejoices the heart. I love the fact this dispels the myth that God is not for your joy. One of the things just, I didn't grow up in church, some of y'all did, but one of the big things out there is, I've heard preachers say, God doesn't want you to be happy, God wants you to be holy. God doesn't want you to be happy, God wants you to be holy. And I would just say those are not necessarily mutually exclusive. When you actually look at it, holiness in a walk with God leads to happiness and joy. Amen. All right, so when you look at it, how, how husbands, um, husbands, if you are, if you are blessed, how many husbands in here are like, you're, if, if you are, if you're married and you're a husband, how many would say, man, I am blessed to be married? Yeah. 
Some of of y'all are gonna have a cold night tonight. So I'm just saying, (laughs) let me give you another chance. All right, so your husband in here, how many fired up that you are married to that woman? Well done. It's gonna go well for you. It will go well for you. So here's what it is. How would you have felt if when you were exchanging your vows years ago, if the preacher had said something like this to your wife for her to repeat her vows to you? If he had said something like, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, and then starts to go in and she's repeating all that stuff, and then he says something like, do you forsake all happiness, all dreams of intimacy, and all dreams of romance, do you forsake that now? And it's like, you're like, hey, get time, time out, coach. Uh, I don't want her to have to forsake those in marrying me. I want her to find a lot of that in marrying me. Here's what you gotta understand, loved ones, God wants, you to, God wants you to find, just like he's saying, he wants you to find that delight and joy in him. Because he understands he's the only one that actually is gonna fulfill all that satisfaction and contentment and joy you are actually looking for. God is not upset that you wanna be happy. God is upset and gets upset when you and I trying to find happiness in someone or something other than him. And the reason is he loves you. And he knows all that stuff that we tend to chase after. Bottom line, they're just counterfeit. Certainly they have a jolt. Certainly they have a dopamine hit. Certainly they provide a sense. And parents, don't ever tell your kids, oh, sin is not fun. Sin is not fun. The Bible does not say sin is not fun. Okay? If you say sin is not fun, you're doing it wrong. Because, I mean, there's at least, there is at least an initial hit. Otherwise, correct? I mean, otherwise you're not going to ever, it's not even a temptation. And what your enemy does, though, is your enemy is a bait and switcher. What your enemy does is it puts it in a nice, beautiful package with a ribbon tied around it. Or if you're a fisherman, he puts that nice bait and hides the hook. And the whole thing is, look at that, look at that, look at that. That's amazing. And then you bite onto the hook, and all of a sudden it's too late. It's too late. I mean, let me give you a quick example. Like, hypothetically, I've got a deer feeder in the corner of my property, hypothetically, all right? And so I put corn there all year long all year long, all year long. Pretty soon the deer come out, the deer come out. Pretty soon the bucks get kind of, hey, it's okay, it's okay, it's a safe place. This is an awesome place. Now question, question. Do I have the best interest of those bucks at my heart? No, I do not, I do not, I do not, I do not. Am I, I'm feeding them for my purposes, not theirs. Hypothetically, so here, here's, here's, here's what I'm saying. When the Bible says God's a jealous God, I know that throws people. It's like, what's, what kind of God is jealous? I think it was Brad Pitt that said that's the reason he left the faith. It says, what kind of God would be so insecure that he's a jealous God? And the reason is we don't understand jealousy. We think of jealousy as like two seventh grade boys being jealous over the same girl or something. But jealousy and, jealous and zealous in the Bible are from the same root word. Zealous, we like zealous, it means enthusiastic. It means, it means enthusiastic love. It's like I'm zealous for that. That's what God is for you. God pursues us. If you're his son or daughter, he will pursue you, even when we run away. What he knows is all that other stuff, bottom line is it's not gonna satisfy. We think it does. So for example, we live in the country, as you probably just could tell from the, the deer thing. Um, but also we're on a well. And so because we're on a well, 
my wife is like super into nutrition and fitness and all that stuff, so she's like, we've got to put a filter on this. So we put a big filter. There's a big filter on the well. And then to even double check, we put another filter on the sink, that farm sink thing that I was telling you about. So, you know, second filter. And then like to be triply sure, we actually have this Berkey thing that's like another filter. So we have thrice filtered water. So here's what happens. So I t- I've got a German shepherd, all right? Not, his name is Ranger, he's 95 pounds. Very intelligent dog, very, if you have a German shepherd, they're very intelligent. They are scary intelligent. And so it's easy to train him, but what I can't train him in somehow is to stop drinking out of the toilet, even though he's got, a, he's got this three times filtered water. It's like Perrier at this point. It is amazing, but what does he do? He walks into the bathroom and almost in disgust is like, who left the lid down? And so he ends up, he ends up putting his head down into the toilet and honestly takes this massive gulp and then he gets up with this big smile on his face like, does it get any better than this? Does it get, it's like, it does get better than that. Bro, I got, got awesome fresh water right here and you choose to put your head in the toilet. Now we laugh because like, well, it's a dumb dog. I'm a cat person. It's all right, we got some good churches for you. We'll recommend them in the reception area. But I'm just saying, my point is this. We do the same thing. We chase after stuff thinking that's gonna fully and finally satisfy me. And t- tell me, does it? It does not. It doesn't. Initial hit, yes, it does. But loved ones, you got a God who loves you and wants to, you to delight in him. And he rejoices in you. So the question is, do you rejoice in him? Or do you go after these counterfeits? Counterfeits, again, are you know, this person or that stuff or this relationship. They're not bad things, but when you make a good thing a God thing, it ends up being a self-destructive thing because it falls in on itself. That's not the way you were designed. And so what he goes is go back to the word. He rejoices your heart, which, by the way, in a couple of chapters, I would assume you guys will see it in Psalm 51. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation, the joy. God wants to do that to you. If your joy's gone and you're looking at people around here and they're going crazy during the worship and amazing worship and they're just like going crazy and you're like, man, what are you guys so excited about? Then God wants to restore, either wants to save you or he wants to restore to you the joy of your salvation. So here's the last one, shows me truth. Verse nine says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and they are righteous all together. The biggest battle in the Christian life, all right, the biggest battle, biggest battle in the Christian life, it's not relationships, it's not porn, it's not this, that, and other. The biggest battle in the Christian life is whether you are going to listen to lies or you're going to listen to truth. That's the biggest, that's the ultimate battle. Am I going to listen to lies or am I going to listen to truth? I told you earlier, our church is in the Gospel of John. We're only like in chapter three uh, today back up in the mountains there in chapter three. But I know we're gonna get to chapter eight and I can't wait because in chapter eight there's one of the most significant verses in the Bible. Don't turn to it, but just listen to John eight. I think it's verse 44. You'll recognize it maybe. It says this. It says that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and then the truth will set you free. Now there are two truths there. Number one is If he says you have to be set free, the first truth that you might not have thought of is that you can be enslaved to what is not true. If you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, the corresponding truth to that is 
If you have bought into lies, they will enslave you. They will, they're not your friend. And the Bible says that your enemy, his native tongue, it says he is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. So the question is, when you're going through life, you're gonna have these, you're gonna have a lot of lies coming your way and whispering and you're gonna have a lot of truth. And the question is, which one, which one is gonna win out? Here's what I found to be ineffective personally. What I found to be ineffective personally is trying to close out the whispers and the lies because the lies will come. Identity lies will come and activity lies will come. Activity lies are usually easier, but if a lie is deception, if a lie is trying to cloak and dagger, if a lie is bait and switch, here's an activity lie. Kind of go back to the marriage deal or go back. An activity lie is when you start to get these thoughts in your mind that, you know what, man, it's been eight or nine years, we've been married, my marriage is a lot more woe than it is wow like it was before. My wife doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't compliment me much anymore. And then all of a sudden, amazing, at about that time when you and your wife are struggling, it's amazing how all of a sudden someone at work will begin to pay attention to you. And all of a sudden, man, you have somebody at work and they're like going, man, that was an awesome presentation you did. Man, you just killed that thing and like the way that suits on you and I like the way you hold yourself and man, what cologne is that? And all of a sudden you're thinking, you know what, I, need, I deserve to be happy and I'm not happy in my marriage and then just maybe my happiness is found in this person at work. And please hear me on that. I say this with great love. Bro, the reason you think that is true, the reason you think that you would be happier with her. The reason that you think that she thinks so highly of you is because she doesn't know you, bro. <laughs> she doesn't know you. She just doesn't. She doesn't know you. If, if, if she knew you like your wife knows you, she would probably struggle just like your wife does. And so the, quest, the question is, the question is, the question is, and by the way, is it, so is it truth or is it a lie? By the way, statistics even show that, you know what, that second marriage or that third marriage, that ain't gonna work. And if it, if it does work, you're less happy in it, at least statistically. And that's why we use a word that we don't even, it, just, it sounds so innocent. That's why, that's why you, you hear a word like affair, affair. I mean, affair. I mean, it sounds French, doesn't it? It's like affair, affair. It's light and airy, and it's you know. I mean, who doesn't like to go to affair? I mean, affairs. An affair is an escape from reality, right? An affair is like, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to eat cotton candy, and it's going to be a Ferris wheel, and we're going to win a big bear, and it's an escape from reality, bro. That's what an affair actually is. It's an escape from reality. It's a bait and switch. It's a initial hit that that's amazing, and then pretty soon, guess what happens? The hook is the fact that you know what. Your kids don't look at you the same. Your testimony has been shattered for a long period of time. The gospel of Jesus is like, I'm not sure. It didn't work in his life. How's it, work? How's it going to work in my life? All of a sudden, you see your kids two days a week. That's the hook. And even more insidious are the identity lies. The identity lies. Those are the ones that go from our activity and they become a part of who we are. And your pastor, by the way, is great at continually going back to identity. Identity, it means who you are, who you are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you gotta have some of these things down. 
Because when the identity lie comes, because you're going to mess up, but the Bible says what? A righteous man, he gets up seven times. If you understand the gospel, when you fall, you go back to the, probably the verse you guys know the best, Romans 8.1. I am not condemned. I am not unfit for use. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, all the condemnation got put on him, and there's none left for me. That's why when you get the whispers, and you gotta t- if you've got daughters, you've got to teach them this particularly. That's why when the lie comes down from the culture that, you know what, if you're not beautiful, you're not lovable. If you don't look like that Instagram model, which by the way, the Instagram models, they can't even hold up that standard. That's all filter, bro. And if, if, what do you got to do? When you, you're not lovable because you're not beautiful, guess what? The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and my soul knows it full well. And so you lean into that, and sometimes you got to shout it. Seriously, you got to shout that stuff. You got to make sure that the voice of the gospel is louder than the voice of the enemy. Uh, an example would be this. Uh, years ago, or a number of years ago, I, I was coaching one of my son's basketball teams. And I realized on Sunday, I was hoarse all the time when I was preaching. I'm like, man, I have no voice. I'm starting to sound like a chain smoker. What is going on here? And what I realized is on Saturdays, I was having to yell so loud in those gyms, not at the refs. Well, some, some at the refs, but mainly I'm trying to yell over the parents because the parents are yelling stuff that's not on the playbook. The parents are like, press, Johnny, press, and we're not in the press. They're like, Johnny, shoot the ball, and Johnny hadn't made a basket for like a year. It's like, Johnny, do not, the coach has said, don't shoot, Johnny, don't shoot, or you come to the bench. And they're like, shoot, Johnny, shoot, Johnny. And the whole point is I realized I got to shout louder the voice is coming from the stand. Church of 1122, you have to be able to take some truth and put it right there because the voice of the enemy will whisper. You can't avoid that. The question is, do you have some truth that you can shout and say, you know what, this is what God says and I'm gonna believe truth over lies, all right? You gotta do that. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Some of you are like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to do it. I mean, I don't even, I don't even have a Bible. Man, this church would love to give you one um, got a bunch of resources. They do a phenomenal job at discipleship and, and trying to bring you along on that continuum. But look at the last two verses, verse 10 and 11. Here's what it says. It actually tells you how. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. And that's great. More to be desired are they than gold, even fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. All this is about God's word. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The servant there, by the way, would be David talking about himself. I'm, I'm being warned by that. So let me give you a couple of, let me give you a couple of uh, kind of navigational points here. The first one is like, how do I do this? How do I do this, Bruce? Number one, desire it. You're like, I wish I could desire it. I get so fired up when Joby preaches because like he's so fired up about it. You seem fired up about it. My disciple group, they kind of seem fired up about it as well. I just am not there. Now, this, is a, this actually can be good news for you. The good news is, is that today at church, you can actually kind of conf- confess that your heart is cold. And you have a merciful, gracious God who when someone humbles themselves and says, you know what, I'm bringing my cold heart to you, does not turn them away. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you at the proper time. James chapter four says this, God is opposed to the proud, but he pours out grace on the humble. You're like, I wanna have some grace today. I wish God would pour out grace on me and my family and my relationship. I wish he would do that. 
Well, then get as low as you can, as fast as you can, and it's a guarantee you'll get some grace. And so when you look at this, verse 11, it's great. He goes from talking about God, and then if you notice verse 11, it changes, and it says, by them your servant is warned. Your servant is warned. He's talking to God at this point. He's, and in verse 14, he's not the rock. He's, he's not the redeemer. He's my rock. He's, he's my redeemer. And so here's what you need to understand is, is jump in there. The whole thing, again, it's not the, the destination is not for you to be able to say, I spent, I, it's not checkmark church where you can say, I spent, I, I got my four times in. The whole thing is for you to get to know Jesus better, for you to understand his love and his grace and his mercy and his purpose and how he can remove the shame and all that's, that's the purpose for doing it. And by the way, if you're like, that's, that's not where I am, I wanna be like that. There's a pastor years ago, a guy named A.W. Tozer, I love this prayer. I prayed it myself a few times this week. Here's what he says. Oh God, I have tasted of your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire, oh God, and this is a great, I want to want you. You ever prayed that prayer? That's where a lot of us are this morning. I wanna want you, I want, I wanna want you. I don't, but I want to. I wanna have what some of these other people have. I wanna be hungry again. I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made thirstier still. Give me the grace to rise up and follow Jesus. So just desire it. Desire to desire it. Second thing is just read it. And this is kind of simple, but read it. Or if you're like, I'm a listener, then put the Dwell app on or put the app that the Church of 1122 app. I think they've got one that actually speaks to you. I mean, that's, a, that's great, but just, but just read it. The Bible is kind of like superfood, folks. I mean, it's like you got the superfood. What is it? Like kale and blueberries and fried okra or whatever. The, su- the superfoods, it's like, this is like really nutritious. That's the superfood of your faith. You're like, I'm not growing much. I'm not growing much. The reason that probably you're not growing much is the fact you gotta get back in here. This is like the superfood for you. And so here's what I would say. If you are, uh, if you're, if you're, especially if you're new or if it's been a long time since you got in God's word, again, they got a great, just text Psalms to 4-4-11-22, and I think you get a Psalm sent to you every day. That is a great way to start. It's a great way to get in there. I mean, I don't know how much easier you can do than just take Psalms to 4-4-11-22 and then all, you get it sent to your phone? I mean, that's a church that wants to disciple you. That's so much better than some of you are like, well, I'm fired up, I'm gonna read this whole thing today. All right, and so you like, you like get in there and you're like, I mean, most of us have done this in a year of the Bible kind of thing. You know, Genesis start off awesome, you kind of lose a little bit of momentum there, spending so much time with Joseph Exodus is kind of cool. You didn't know Christian Bale was that way back in those times. And you're like, this is awesome too. But then you, you die on the vine sometime in Leviticus. And if you, if you make it through there, then Deuteronomy is waiting right there, staring at you in the face. Better thing would be this. is start off, just start off with the Psalms. That's great. Let me use one illustration to try to drive this home and then we'll go to one more. So like uh, two months ago, um, the rotator cuff and the bicep tore in my arm. And so for seven weeks, they went in there and they said, you have a massive tear. And they said, your bicep's hanging by a thread. We fished it out. We put it in place and screws and these overlapping band-aid things and all this kind of stuff. So for seven weeks, they're like, it's passive. All you do is stretch it. You try to, you know, they kind of break up all that stuff that's getting in there. And then, but about a week ago, they're like, all right, 
time to add some strength. And it's so embarrassing because, because the muscle had been atrophied so bad for eight weeks, it's been, it was in a sling for six, and then it, it atrophied and it lost all the strength. They said, and because it, it can't take much right now, they say, when you, now the max on your left arm is five pounds. So five pounds. So here's, here's the workout routine, just so you know. And it happened the other day, and I'm like, you're kind of looking around. So I'm over there, and I'm like feeling good about myself. Self-esteem is high. And I'm over there with 35s or 40s pumping this. And it's like, yeah, getting, the, you know, getting it. It's, it's, I'm like, yeah, that's good. But then I got to go to the other part of the gym, and they got these tiny little dumbbells. And did y'all know that those little dumbbells, you know what color they are? They're pink. They're pink dumbbells. That's terrible. That's terrible for a guy's self-esteem. And I'm over there with these little five-pounders just like, yeah. I mean, look at that. Look at that, some of that stuff. And it's just, you look around, and it, the reason they're telling me to do that is guess what? Right now, because it's been atrophied, if you do much more, it's gonna actually be counterproductive. Not that you can get too much of the word of God, but what a great place to start. It's like, I'm gonna just, four times this week, I'm gonna get a psalm. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna think about what it says. I'm gonna think about what God's telling me. I'm gonna pray for God to help me to do it, and then I'm gonna go out and do it which actually is the way he ends it. The last verse says, in keeping them, there is great reward. Here's the promise. Now, sometimes God will tell you something that you don't need that exact day, all right? Sometimes what he'll do is he'll tell you something that he knows you're gonna need in a week. So understand, you don't go in there going, well, that didn't, I didn't apply that today. Understand you're depositing stuff in, a, in an account, in a spiritual account. God knows you're gonna to have to write a check on that pretty soon or you're gonna to have to make a withdrawal on that pretty soon. But what you do is you go in there and but you go to it with this one. Here's the part you have to go to it with. When you go to the Bible, and by the way, if you're not a Christ follower, let me step over. If you're not a Christ follower, jump in on this bandwagon anyway. It's the best-selling book of all time. People in other countries, man, they will try to smuggle pages in and so realize that this is an amazing book, so just jump in. But if you're a Christ follower, you gotta come to this whole idea of saying, as I read God, speak to your servant, tell me what to do, because God will tell you what to do. But come with the heart that says, where Jesus and I disagree, he's right and I'm wrong, and by God's grace and his power, I will change. Let me say it again. The Lordship of Christ means, listen, when, when Jesus and I disagree, which you will at times, which you will at times, if you never, if Jesus never disagrees with you, you've probably made a Jesus in your own image. But the Bible Jesus, the Bible Jesus is gonna push. The Bible Jesus is gonna challenge. He is going to comfort. And so come to it with saying, you know what, where Jesus and I disagree, he's right, I'm wrong, by God's grace and by his power, I will change. And so here's the idea. You're coming to it with a posture. I know that people's posture physically doesn't always match our spiritual posture, but oftentimes it does. And the idea of surrender, which is what that verse 11 is saying, it's saying, you know what? He's saying, I'm your servant. I don't call the shots, you call the shots. That's again what you and I would call the Lordship of Christ. It's called repentance and faith. Jesus is the master, Jesus is the boss. Where we disagree, he's right, I'm wrong, and God, please change me. Because God will tell you something. He'll either give you like a promise to hold on to, he'll give you a challenge to do, he'll give you an example to obey, he'll give you a warning to run away from, all those different things. For a lot of us, it just might be the fact that it's been a while since 
you've gotten in here personally. You've, you, you're like, well, Joby tells me. You got it. Joby's goal is for you to understand God can speak to you. And so today, part of that surrender might be you saying, God, I gotta make room for you. I have to make room. All this other stuff has crowded you out. I can barely hear your voice. And even if you can't say that, God, I desire to desire it. God, I want to want it. I'm thirsty, but I wanna be thirstier still. And by the way, I love the fact you guys have, the way you have these prayer benches, just so you know, when I was here at Saturated and I'd never seen, I saw those, it's like, man, boom, we're taking those back to North Carolina. Not these, but I'm saying we, we're, gonna get, we're gonna get those back to North Carolina. And you know what, a few months ago, we finished them out and all this stuff, and first time the prayer benches were down there, my people didn't know how to use them, honestly, because they were used to coming to the altar and putting their elbows here, and I put prayer benches down there and explained to them, and all these people came to the altar, and they're actually, they're putting their elbows on the prayer cushion and I'm like, okay, we gotta have like a remedial class on how to, how, to, how to come into the altar. So we actually taught that. You guys don't need that. So here's what I would say is, I'm gonna pray for you, and there's a promise to keep, there is a promise to hold on to, there's a challenge that God has given you, there's the fact of repentance. I, I, I haven't made room for you, I'm gonna make room for you. There's surrender to be had, there's somebody you wanna pray for. As soon as I get through praying, uh, we'll go into that song, and what a great time just to humble yourself before God, because right here when you're on your knees, Man, it's hard to be prideful. So let me pray for you. Father, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the day. This is the day the Lord has made and we got to rejoice and be glad in it. God, thanks for the worship of music that we get to be moved emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. Thanks for the intentionality that went into everything from the church to move us along in our discipleship journey. God, right now, as we respond to your word, help us to respond in humility and rejoice over the fact that you want to pour out grace to the humble. Families that are hurting, marriages that are struggling, habits that don't seem to be able to be kicked, you said, you know what? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. I'll pour out grace. So our prayer in the next few minutes as people kneel, as people pray, as people sing, as people cry out, that you would pour out grace to hungry people. We pray in Jesus' name.